Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with talent management consultant Alexandra Overchuk about emotional intelligence for lawyers. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Alex. Thank you, Shelley. It's awesome to get a chance to speak to you in this format. Well, thanks so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. How about getting us started by introducing yourself? Absolutely. Well, you've started off with a good introduction, which is my name and my focus is um, is talent management consulting. Uh, I've been consulting probably for the last four years, actively focusing uh, in both the profit and not-for-profit sector. Uh, My sweet spot is talent management. um, That's come from over 20 years working in professional services with accountants and most recently with lawyers. Uh, And so uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some of the insight I've garnered over my career and specifically working with lawyers and uh, on the topic of emotional intelligence. Fantastic. Fantastic. A hot topic. It's funny because I remember years and years ago it coming up in sort of the the research that I was uh, reading and then all of a sudden it was quiet. And now it seems like emotional intelligence is a hot topic, certainly in legal fields. So uh, be interested to hear a little bit more about that as as we continue our discussion. But first off, I just wanted to um, sort of share with you something that I had heard, and I think this is quite interesting, that lawyers with high emotional intelligence are seen to be more effective practitioners. So in trying to unpack that, I'm wondering, first of all, what is emotional intelligence? Great question. You'll get a variety of definitions depending on the form that you look at. Simply, it's a set of social and emotional skills that we draw upon to manage ourselves and our interactions with others. Uh, And so if you think about the practice of law, not only are you working with your clients, with other lawyers, both in the firm or in the courts, it's your ability to read the situation and be able to react uh, uh, accordingly, uh, to be respectful of that interaction with others, dialing it back or potentially dialing it up, depending on what's required for that situation. And. How would emotional intelligence or EI or EQ, I sort of see it variously uh, referred to, how how does that make someone a better lawyer, a more effective lawyer? I have my biases into <laughs> <laughs> how this plays uh, plays into the practice of law. In terms of, um, so it's interesting, in terms of the research that I've been doing over the years, um, we, we actually have introduced emotional intelligence into the school system, into the elementary school system. And so to think that some of our, our new associates haven't heard or experienced emotional intelligence would probably be, be um, a bit of a misnomer. Um, emotional intelligence within the legal practitioners, it's, it's really about self-awareness. It's understanding how I'm reacting to the situation, how the stressors around me are impacting my ability to react to the situation. And then as you start dealing with clients, it's responding to their reactions as they're dealing with their difficult issue, whether that's in family law, whether that's in um, uh, matrimonial law, or even in in a corporate transaction, uh, what's happening uh, in the boardroom as it relates to uh, how our tensions 
How is stress impacting the ability to make decisions, to come to consensus, to close the deal, uh, and, uh, and, and a lawyer's ability to be mindful of both his or her reaction to those events, as well as how their clients are reacting to those events, uh, will produce very different outcomes. And because relationships are at the core of what lawyers do, to me, that seems absolutely essential. Absolutely. Totally agree. And I think what's your, you made the comment earlier, it seems to be that emotional intelligence seems to be at play more. Uh, coming out of the, the pandemic, we're seeing how emotional intelligence played out in the office, uh, played out as we went remote. How did our leaders, those high-performing lawyers who moved into partnership and leadership roles, how did they navigate the uncertainty and the unknown? How did they keep their team moving forward? And I think that's why perhaps you're seeing more talk about emotional intelligence within the legal environment is that you've got these large organizations that are leading people in addition to securing and retaining clients? And are we all operating effectively to maintain those relationships? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, is emotional intelligence something that you like you have or you don't have? Excellent question. <laughs> and so some of the research will, will compare IQ to EQ or EI as you've as referred to it. And so with IQ, we're kind of stuck with what what uh, what we're given at the at the beginning. Um, you might be able to study a little bit longer and learn a little bit more, but you're basically by the time you're 20 years old, your your IQ is pretty static. EQ, on the other hand, can, um, with attention, can grow and develop, especially if it's something that you're invested in making changes to. Uh, and so it, it can evolve and grow with, uh, with being mindful and conscious of what you're, you're focusing on developing. Fascinating. Fascinating. So uh, I'm thinking too, then, <laughs> how would you know what your EQ is? And Given sort of lawyer's personality, maybe I'll just use my own as an example. I think I have pretty high, based on what you said, emotional intelligence is, I would think I have pretty high emotional intelligence. So how do we sort of determine what our emotional intelligence is? Great question. Over the course of my career, I'd often get feedback Alex, you have high EQ. I'd be introduced to other people as Alex is a great practitioner, talent manager. She's got great EQ. I'm kind of like, what is this EQ? <laughs> I knew that I could navigate conversations effectively. I knew I could bring conflicting opinions to some sort of mutual consensus. And so this is where I decided to get certified in an EQ assessment tool. Uh, and that is the yeah, EQI 2.0 and by 2.0 it's uh it has been uh researched and updated to meet uh, just changing language and uh within the environment so what your best assess best way to assess your eq is to do an assessment um you can find some assessments online either through a magazine or just made available through a consulting site it'll, it'll give you a hint at you know some things to be mindful of in terms of more optimism more self-awareness but the truest measure would be to do a, an EQ assessment and work with uh, a consultant or a coach uh, to get a debrief and, and uh, assess your scores and, and think about whether you wanted to make some changes. So interesting, because I'm, I'm a lover of those um, <laughs> magazine quizzes and things like that. Uh, and I did the emotional uh, intelligence assessment with you, very kindly offered to um, to run me through it. And it was quite a fascinating experience, I must say, very different than doing something in a magazine. <laughs> uh, 
opinion, um, particularly that, you know, opportunity to speak with you afterwards to do a debrief and for you to give me a read of, um, you know, how all of these different um, aspects of emotional intelligence work together. And anyway, I'm so, I was so excited about the whole process, but I, before we get there, um, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Can you maybe describe the test a little bit? So MHS is the um, the owner of the tool. They're based in Canada, which is one of the reasons when I was looking to get certified, I wanted to see how I could uh, get my certification here and, and use a tool that was generated in Canada. The interesting piece is that the MHS uh, tool is also administered globally. And so millions of people have taken the assessment. The tool itself, as I said, is uh, EQI, uh, so Emotional Intelligence Assessment. Um, it is based on a uh, five composite scale that focuses on self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal, decision-making, and stress management. And within those five composites, there's three subscales that break that, um, that composite down. And what you and I talked about is that it's not about the total EQ score, which will be on a, on a, on a continuum. Um, it really is about understanding how each of the subscales uh, interact with um, each other and impact how you would uh, react to a situation and how you would respond to a situation. The, what I like about using an assessment tool is it cr- it's a framework that provides a common language for both the individual who's looking to understand their emotional intelligence score, for lack of a better word, and for the person who's providing the debrief. And then you've got some concrete language which you can start to talk about the behaviors that you're looking to address, talk about what that impact could be in your working relationships and your interpersonal relationships, and then some concrete action steps that move forward with it. Um, The tool itself generates some uh, some sample suggestions on how to uh, address that particular uh, subscale in terms of how you you might um, deal with stress, how you might deal with flexibility. Uh, And I think what we're seeing, especially coming out of the pandemic, is how is our stress management? What are we doing to ensure that we're operating um, effectively as we transition from either fully in-person or hybrid um, and how we're coping with the kids going back to school? So the tool generates some strategies but as you and I talked about, sometimes the strategies in the, the in the report don't necessarily resonate with the individual who's reading the report for the first time. So it's an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody uh, to understand how does how does this particular behavior um, impact me as the person who's just completed the assessment? What can I do differently? The strategies that are being presented don't make sense to me. Is there something else that you've seen with others and how they've had success? So. The tool is not meant to be a standalone, not meant to just, you know, here's your report, have a nice life. It's meant to open up a conversation. Uh, And quite often, I will give some suggestions on how you engage your personal trusted advisors to help you along that journey. Uh, Or I encourage people to come back and we can have a conversation uh, a year from now or or six months from now. Yeah, and it's interesting to talk about the difference between sort of uh, using it as a standalone uh, report or sort of something that sort of starts a conversation because I read it first and I went, okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And then I just sort of 
if we hadn't booked a time to discuss it, I would have kind of put it aside and that would have been that. But I think the power of the report is in the discussion that you have afterwards with someone who is properly trained in looking at uh, the different um, composites and how they, as you described to me, work together and looking for that balance. Um, Because I think as lawyers, we tend to get sort of focused on the numbers because I remember seeing the report and thinking, oh, wow, I've got a low score here. That's a real surprise. Or just generally, I've got a low score. Oh, no, (laughs) like it means I failed. (laughs) And so some of the work that I've done with lawyers, one of the um, one of the subscale scores that really gets lawyers in particular scratching their heads is problem solving. And so when they score low on problem solving, they're like, I'm a lawyer, I'm paid to solve problems, like, why am I getting this score? And so we start having a conversation about that particular subscale as it relates to decision making. And it's focusing on when emotions are running high, the individual's ability to move forward and come to conclusion can be a can be problematic. And so it's now starting to develop self awareness as to when you're in that stressful situation, maybe you need to take a step back and, 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 and spend some time thinking about next steps. The other common theme that comes up is it's not about problems that you're solving. It could be an obstacle that you encounter or an issue that you encounter. And it's not necessarily this, this problem that needs to be resolved, but it's the circumstances that you have to navigate that's causing this uh, inability to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that definitely came up in our, in our conversation. I thought that was so fascinating. Other things that you see coming up with uh, with lawyers when they do the assessment? Yeah, another one that comes up um, is self-regard, which is one of the subscales in the self-perception composite. And self-regard is this um, willingness to see um, your strengths as well as your weaknesses and not necessarily dwell on your weaknesses. And so um, what comes up sometimes with lawyers is the, the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. being... Uh, seeing your, your, your contribution and your value to what you're, you're contributing. And um, the self-regard score is something that you can influence and control. And so I've spent a fair amount of time talking to individuals um, as I do the debrief on what are things that they can do practically to ensure that they're not uh, being overly critical of their successes. What's interesting in that same uh, sub uh, in that same composite is the, the subscale of self-actualization, and that is setting stretch goals for yourself and working towards achieving them. And so quite often, we'll get a lower score on self-regard and a higher score on self-actualization. And so you've got these individuals who set these really strong uh, stretch goals for themselves and achieve them, but don't necessarily value and appreciate that they've had this success in their life. So it's an interesting conversation as we go to unpack that in some of the scores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about empathy? I see that's one of the um, subscale, do you call it subscale? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we often hear that, you know, I was speaking with Marla Warner in the last um, last podcast episode, and she was saying how, you know, empathy is sort of the superpower for 2023 or 2022. Uh, and I'm wondering, is there any sort of anything we can learn about lawyers and empathy through this particular test? Absolutely. And so in this particular assessment tool, the empathy is your ability to see how others are responding and, and reacting accordingly to it. 
And so I think sometimes we we think that from a business perspective, in terms of a corporate transaction, uh, or, you know, going into court, we, we don't want to you know, let down our defenses, we don't want to let the other team know where we're coming from. Um, but in terms of um, lawyers, uh, much like medical practitioners, um, empathy is, you know, the ability to demonstrate that you're, you're listening to somebody and that you're reacting and responding accordingly. And so where we have higher empathy, um, we're better able to connect with individuals, our clients and our teammates, uh, our staff as well. And so I, I, I would agree with Marla, it is the superpower. I think the other piece of the equation, though, is that you don't want to be overly empathetic. Uh, and, um, you know, being uh, overly consumed with how someone is uh, reacting to a situation uh, and responding overly, uh, overly emotional. Uh, and so I think that's the key piece with EQ in this particular model. It's the balancing out. It's not necessarily the highest score or working towards the highest score. It's understanding the interplay between each of the sub um, subscales and how that impacts the interactions with others. For example, I could end up being overly empathetic, caring so much more about how, the, how other people are reacting that it actually increases my stress levels because I'm not able to deal with the, with the issues that I have to get through on my to-do list or I end up taking on more of those individuals' feelings unnecessarily. So it's, it's a, a fine balancing act to demonstrate sufficient empathy without necessarily taking on other people's issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you say, a fine balancing act. And I take it that could be something that um, a coach could help a lawyer work on. Absolutely. But any of the uh, the composites and specifically the subscales is understanding, is this something that I need to be working on? So you can have remedial coaching where your, or your firm or your organization is saying, you're not progressing to the next level, to a leadership level, to partnership, unless you get some coaching. And Part of what that could include is an EQI assessment. Um, and I always have a conversation for those individuals who are sort of um, put into a program is what's important to you? Is this getting in the way of what you want to achieve as an individual or um, as a leader or as a partner? And so it's that, it's that ongoing conversation that, yes, it's impacting my, uh, my life, my career. That tends to come into play under the stress management composite. Um, in terms of, and I think that may have come up in your conversations with Marla, is that uh, our ability to uh, manage our stressors, respond uh, accordingly, build in coping mechanisms, helps us to be that much more effective. And that's obviously where good coaching comes into play, is having someone to bounce these ideas off of. I'm a real strong proponent of not relying only on an external coach. You have your internal tr- uh, trusted advisors. Those are, you know, the, the person that you confide in in the office. This could be your mentor in the office. I often default to your spouse because they see you at your best. And, and if you're looking to make some changes, you engage those trusted advisors to catch you in the moment, to... Um, For example, I've I've had individuals say um, flexibility is the ability to, in this model, is the ability to see that things can be done differently. So you're not so rigid and that you're open to new ideas, new approaches, uh, new ways of doing things. So I'll say, ask your husband, your wife, your kids, especially if they're teenagers, um, or your, your workmates, that if you're being too fixed or rigid, 
to catch you in the moment so that you're self-aware of what were the triggers? Why is this happening? And it allows you to course correct. I love that idea of course correction. And with the help of somebody more objective that you trust, because we could, you know, yeah, we see things very differently (laughs) when it comes to uh, our particular uh, personality traits. But you um, mentioned this idea of, of course correction. And I'm thinking too, like, what are some of the other ways that we could develop and strengthen our uh, EQ? Absolutely. And so um, we've used the term course correction, because I think we're all well intentioned, and we're on a path and we want to do what's right. And when we're talking about emotional intelligence, I just want to reiterate it's when emotions are running high. And so that's when um, these are the, the default behaviors that we fall to. This is where our brain has been hijacked, and we're just reacting to emotions. So part of that is the ability to start building in some coping mechanisms. Marlon, you and I, Shelley, you and I have talked about it. We've got Marlon on the brain right now. <laughs> so we've talked about this in terms of journaling. And I know that you've had speakers talk about uh, journaling as it, really, as it relates to stress man- management and, and mental health awareness. Um, and so what I encourage people to do, if they're, if they're looking to focus on a subscale, is um, re- reflect on that. When you encounter challenges, was today a good day or a bad day? What got in the way? If you if you have low flexibility, what were the things that you did today to try and improve that? What were you open to doing differently? What new challenges did you explore? Um, another one that comes into play with emotional intelligence and reflecting in a journal um, is being aware of how your how your, your emotions impact you. So. I feel anxious when I have to do a presentation because I'm worried I'm not going to say the right things. And so how do I deal with that anxiety? I practice, practice, practice. And so if you can get into that mindset of, um, you know, identifying what are the things that trigger your emotions, which then impact how you're interacting with others, then you can start to see what do I need to do? What do I need to build into my routine so that I don't get to that anger phase, frustration, anxiety, um, and nervous and, and be able to not default to the emotion, but focus on um, your preferred behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes such good sense. Um, I also heard some other ways to build emotional intelligence through various things like looking at just pictures of people's eyes and trying to get a sense of, um, you know, what would you, what you think that person is feeling? Have, have, is that something you ever use? Have you heard about that? Is that something that might be effective? I don't yeah, know. I've heard, I've heard of it. I haven't used it myself, um, but okay. it does speak to another tool, which is just learning more and talking about emotions. And so the ability to uh, look at uh, people's reactions, maybe uh, the whole facial expression and being able to name it and not just happy or sad, but um, ecstatic and thrilled, excited. It's the full range of the emotions, not just the static uh, emotion itself. And so being able to talk about it openly, being able to um, identify it and being able to see the full spectrum uh, would definitely help. Uh, Alan Alda, not to give a shout out to another podcaster, he has <laughs> a great podcast that he, he um, some of his work beyond acting is how to create better communicators. And he focuses on the scientific uh, and um, medical community. Uh, and he describes some of what you're describing in terms of 
looking at, you know, uh, people's interactions and exchanges and facial expressions. And so if anybody's looking to learn more about um, effective communication through the use of, of, of reading people's expressions and emotions, he's got a great podcast that he shares some of that with. Super. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And on that, I'd also heard of, I guess, because we're in the into talking about um, entertainers. <laughs> I also heard about you know, watching TV or watching a movie with the sound turned off mm-hmm. and seeing if you can figure out what's going on just by observing the character's body movements and um, facial expressions and things like that. What do you think of that? I think it's a great idea uh, as it relates to. So one of my favorite pastimes um, is, is people watching. Uh, and it's, you know, it used to be during my lunch break in one of the food courts, I would just, just Steve, could I understand what was happening just by people's facial expressions and how they're interacting? Was that a, a breakup over there? Or was that a, you know, a celebration? You know, did someone just announce that they're expecting their first baby to their, their partner, etc. And so I think you can get a lot out of reading people's body language. I think it's really just being attuned to um, and we talked about this previous as well as active listening. So active observation and active listening will definitely help to start to be more aware of how other people are reacting. Um, you've got a great, um, a great example of this uh, in the office. You're communicating with your assistant and you see the shoulders slump. I mean, it's a good visual cue that this person's not happy with what information that you're sharing. Um, another visual cue is individuals, you know, won't look you in the eye or rip their eyes as you're delivering messages. And so there's a good cue is you might want to unpack that a little bit. What, what's the issue at play? Are you communicating uh, effectively with that individual? Are you making them uncomfortable and, and perhaps why? And so part of watching movies or watching other people's behavior starts to build up your, um, not necessarily your ability to read them more effectively, but just that you start to see it, how people's bodies are reacting to that and potentially their emotions are coming into play. Right, right. And getting out of your head, because, you know, as lawyers, we're so sort of focused on the logic, logical side of things. And like, there's logic and there's emotions. But to me, it seems like, emotional intelligence is a way of kind of, I wouldn't say managing both or like maybe it's managing both Um, because what you're saying, it's not just purely, it's not talk just about emotions. It's there's sort of an, and I guess that's why it's called emotional intelligence. (laughs) Ah, it just dawned on me. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I mean, I think that's the piece is that we, um, you know, we have evolved uh, since we first, uh, you know, were created on earth. Uh, whichever path you take, evolution or creation. Uh, and um, we have moved away, and many consultants uh, in the behavioral space will speak about, you know, living on the Sahara, and we've, we've, we can't just react to our circumstances. But the reality is we're dealing with multiple stimuli over the course of any given point in time. And so we go into autopilot, in my opinion, we go into autopilot mode, we react to the situation, and if only we could just pause and just take in our surroundings. And some of the research that I did for another um, presentation was that our our minds react to an emotional trigger within six seconds, or we have an emotional reaction within six seconds of seeing a trigger. Mm-hmm. When the reality is you need to probably t- spend about 20 to 30 seconds to 
to think about how you should or should not react to a certain situation. And so it's forcing a pause before we react uh, that helps to build that emotional intelligence muscle. And that's also consistent with um, what we're hearing about mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, developing that, um, yeah, that that muscle so that you can pause and, and, and not react. Um, yeah, wow. Well, what a loaded, uh, a loaded topic. And, um, yeah, so, so interesting. And you have such a wealth of experience, in particular in, in working with this, uh, this assessment tool. I'm wondering if you have you used the tool, um, like in the context of the work that you do as a consultant with lawyers? Um, and if so, how have you used it and how's it been received? Great question. Um, so I've used it as part of leadership programs. I've used it on an individual basis. And I've even used it in one situation for a team building assignment. So from an individual, from a leadership perspective program, um, it's, it's one of many assessment tools to create self-awareness. Uh, but recognizing, as you've already shared at the beginning of our, our chat, is that, you know, there seems to be an increased discussion about emotional intelligence and where it comes into play is, is more uh, thought leadership on leadership uh, and more focus on leadership. So it comes in as, as an assessment. It's being self-aware. It's part of a coaching conversation to build your leadership skills uh, so that as you move from, uh, you know, more entry-level leadership to potentially firm leadership, that you're equipped um, to handle the stresses that come with not just leading your own personal practice, but leading a group of practitioners or leading a firm. On an individual basis, um, I mentioned earlier, you can end up with it being remedial. And so it's you've, you've been told that, or I've, I've had candidates or individuals tell me that I can't progress to the next level because I've got some interpersonal challenges. And so this is a great assessment to start to break down what, what are those interpersonal challenges. And as I said, you've got this common framework so we can start to see, oh, this is when you're dealing with stressful situation. In particular, you don't have really good stress management techniques. Let's talk about how you're going to build that out. On the team building, was really interesting. It's a small intact team. And so each member of the team took the assessment, did a debrief with me. And then as a team building, we identified our top, the three lowest scores and talked about how we as a group could collectively work on building emotional intelligence in these areas, or at least be mindful uh, that these were areas that we collectively could work on together. Well, so you're saying that there is um, like individual emotional intelligence and then the emotional <laughs> talent of the team as well? You can look it into a team. I haven't actually got to that level yet, but um, okay. definitely being mindful that each person was aware of their own emotional intelligence and where some of their areas for development uh, were. And to be mindful as they were navigating that they then could each use that, um, that framework, that language of the EQI to work through some of those stressful situations and, and uh, you know, just even articulating, you know what, I'm not, I'm feeling particularly stressed. Can we pause? Can we take a step back? Can we come back to this uh, in, you know, either an hour, depending on the time sensitivity or, uh, you know, a day? And I imagine, given the sort of skepticism that a lot of lawyers share, <laughs> that having an objective assessment tool um, would I would hope, make it sort of it's again, a good segue into a conversation about emotion, which a lot of lawyers 
have a difficult time discussing. And as you said, either we don't have the vocabulary or just not really being in touch with emotions. Absolutely. The assessment tool uh, creates that common language. Uh, and you really start to take a step back that it's um, by not addressing the emotions, we're, we're creating and or supporting behavior that's counterproductive. At the end of the day, all of us want to be able to achieve our personal and professional goals to meet our business and client objectives and to, to work in a team um, where everyone feels valued and, and they, they feel like they're contributing. Uh, and so that's a lot to unpack without having a common framework. And so that's definitely the appeal of using uh, an assessment tool and doing a debrief. Yeah. Um, from a, with respect to the skepticism that comes into play, I, I have debriefed uh, individuals and lawyers in particular who've told me this assessment is wrong. <laughs> the language, the, 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 the question, the statements have been worded inaccurately. Um, um, and that's sometimes where, in my view, that's the individuals not willing to park their skepticism. They're not willing to be open to seeing things differently. And it does uh, take a different tact as it relates to, um, you know, trying to bring it into practical examples. Like we can use the assessment uh, or not. It's up to you as to whether you feel that these behaviors that we've identified uh, in this report um, are contributing negatively or positively to your uh, your leadership skills or your ability to work within the, the team. One of the things that you, uh, Shelley, you and I talked about at the beginning is this is um, only the individual receives the report. So when I've worked for an organization and they've paid for the, the report and the debrief, the organization never sees the results. It's only at the individual. It's, it is intended for personal growth, not for uh, assessment uh, uh, or performance assessment. It's intended uh, to help an individual understand where uh, strengths and areas for development are, and it's up to them to choose whether they share or not. Yeah, I think that would go a long way, I would hope, <laughs> to people being more accepting of a, the test and B, the results. Um, but I, I'm just thinking like my experience, like it was so fascinating because the test was so, it was really fast. Like I think it took me about 20 minutes to do it because you gave me good instructions that, you know, don't obsess over the answers, like just whatever <laughs> comes to you, just like, you know, um, and I, I think there were a series of questions and I had to rate how often that applied. To, I can't remember now exactly what the choices were. You're assessing whether you never or rarely, occasionally, sometimes, often, or always, almost always to a set of uh, statements uh, that then translate into your results under the five um, composites and then the subscales. Uh, and so part of the debrief um, or part of the report that I receive in terms of, you know, it's a scientifically valid model is that um, how did you approach the test or the assessment rather? Um, whether you had, were you overly positive in your, your uh, observations, overly negative in your observations? Um, there's also consistency built into the questions. Uh, and so were you inconsistent? And, and so I, as a, as a, an assessor who's, who's been trained to interpret your results, I get a pretty good sense of whether you played it, you rushed it, or you were, you know, generally invested in, in, in the assessment tool. Um, 
part of this also that comes into play is I can do better on the next time. When can I do the assessment again? (laughs) And and so as part of my training, you can redo the assessment, but it's typically a year from the date that you took it because you want to invest some time in understanding what are the behaviors that you're going to work on changing. And it really isn't about improving your score, but improving your interactions with others and your own uh, ability to manage your own emotions. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I, for me, that conversation that we had after was um, just so illuminating. And you're so skilled in um, having that conversation, because I think there's a little bit of resistance to certain things. But yeah, I just love the way that you spoke to me um, about all of the uh, the different things that I was a little like, hmm, I'm not so happy about this result. <laughs> uh, but I came away from that, that conversation feeling very different about it. And I'm wondering then too, do you use that as a basis for uh, like a coaching relationship with someone as well? You can do. It really goes back to the individual and their willingness uh, and interest in what they're wanting to work on. Um, and so where an individual, especially someone, um, uh, an associate sort of midway through their career aspirations of partnership, um, it comes into play with my career conversations with people. So aspiration of partnership, or is it time for me to leave and consider an option uh, outside of private practice? And so there, this is one of the tools that can be used to understand is, is the practice of law within a firm, you know, is this, is this what's giving you, um, you know, where you want to be, where you want to go. And so an understanding of your emotional intelligence can help you there. And it would be a baseline in terms of, um, you know, is this, is this something that you want to work on? Again, oftentimes, especially where you can potentially have those toxic um, practitioners, you know, that's where you get into remedial coaching. Uh, and that's where I think that there's the greater resistance. They're, they're, they're not particularly self-aware, which is why they've been diverted to coaching. And that may, may or may not help them unless they're prepared to, to invest some time. Where I do see there's some great value as part of the coaching conversation is, you know, individuals at the beginning of their career and thinking about who do they want to be as a leader and who do they want to, how do they want to positively impact either their firm or create, like open up their own firm. Uh, And uh, it's, I've had some aha moments come back from individuals as I've, I've seen them over a couple of years and not just within one year. So interesting. And oh, my goodness, I think we could talk about this for for a long, long time. But I'm cognizant of the time and people's attention and listening to the podcast. I know it's so exciting for me. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that we covered everything. Is there anything that like we didn't touch on that you think would be useful to pass on to listeners? Well, I think from a we were focusing very much on the lawyer. um, But I think there's been some really good research coming out of the Conference Board of Canada uh, the World Economic Forum, that emotional intelligence is something that we should all be investing in. Uh, and uh, as we were, as I was sharing earlier, anyone who has kids, your, your kids are uh, learning about EQ in elementary school. So you want to stay ahead of them and make, make sure that you're mindful of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's uh, great research coming out of the US um, and, uh, and definitely some more research coming out of Canada as it relates to lawyers and, and why this uh, particular uh, skill set's important. And of course, there's always anyone who wants to continue the conversation, you're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, under uh, my full name, Alexandra Overchuck, and or uh, reach out to me on my website, www.overchuck.ca. 
Super, super. Well, Alex, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion. I really appreciate you taking so much time to speak with me. Shelly, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure when we get together to chat. (laughs) That it is. That it is. (laughs) Thanks again, Alex. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.